Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Corey Heiser from Fargo, North Dakota, back on the show. We had Corey on this spring, a really great episode. When you're done listening to this, if you haven't already, go back to uh, episode 174, I believe, uh, and listen to uh, the interview with Corey here a few months back. It's a really, really great interview. This one uh, is definitely a little bit different. In fact, I think it's kind of the first of its kind, so to speak, here on the JMO podcast for me. Um, yeah, Corey and I were having a phone conversation and we found ourselves enjoying a little fishing conversation. And I just said, Corey, you got to give me a second. I'm going to get home. I'm going to get plugged into my gear. We need to record this conversation. So I don't think I've ever done a, a podcast, uh, you know, getting close to 200 of these. I've never done one so impromptu. I've never done one so unscripted that, uh, you know, I just wanted to record, you know, our literal phone conversation with me just hitting them with some fishing questions, you know, just off the cuff and things that were coming to my mind. And uh, you know what? Uh, it, it, it might sound similar or, or, or similarly similarly prepared as other ones but believe me it was not this was a hundred and ten percent impromptu and I definitely surprised Corey with uh you know letting him know that I wanted to record this conversation and so yeah very very enjoyable I guess in that way to be honest and we just had a great conversation that is a pretty rare conversation I believe uh Corey is a high level professional walleye tournament angler uh, if you're not familiar with him already, but he fishes the NWT, and he's been in the industry a long time. Uh, he's fished all the high-level circuits over the probably the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, fishing the NWT, I was talking to Corey, and he was talking about that this last tournament that was down on Francis Case Reservoir, Missouri River Reservoir, down in South Dakota, was one of his worst finishes of his entire career. And, and I, you know... I was asking him some questions, you know, kind of just about it. But you know how when you're talking to somebody after a big loss, you know, um, you you definitely don't want to, you know, kick them while they're down. And I think that's why really in the industry, conversations like this are probably pretty rare, at least so close to a loss, you know, just where it's just the wounds are still fresh. And we talk about some of the things that we've done wrong in hindsight and what we've learned from them as anglers, that's true whether you're a tournament angler or not. But in this case, you know, Corey, um, you know, Corey just got home. I mean, his, his, uh, you know, his boat trailer's still wet from this tournament. And, um, you know, he, he had some interesting things happen in his preparation and pre-fish for this tournament. And then on tournament day, it was a totally different story. And, you know, there was just, there's just a lot that we can take away from Corey's vulnerability in this conversation and, and him sharing his tournament experience, uh, you know, of his pre-fish and then uh, his tournament that led him to, you know, uh, one of his worst finishes of all time. But there's just, there's so much more to the story. I am just really stoked that Corey was down to, uh, Corey was down to have this conversation after a loss. And it's amazing just how fishy this conversation gets and how much this this is the real learning this is this is the real um you know the mindsets and the motion the emotional roller coaster of of fishing in general much less competitive fishing that 
we can all relate to, we can all learn more from. And uh, yeah, Corey's just got excellent, excellent life lessons, fishing lessons uh, that come out in this interview. And uh, I just, I couldn't be happier from it. It's definitely, it definitely got a, a new spin on a lot of the things that we already talk about here on this show. And Corey does a phenomenal job articulating this stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just really appreciative of his time and his uh, willingness to to talk about this tournament uh, so soon after. But a great, great interview. Um, obviously, this this interview or this intro is kind of getting drug on, but you'll know, really appreciate Corey Heiser's time talking about a, a tough tournament finish and everything that goes into it. And then in hindsight, what we're hoping to take away from it and learn and just improve upon ourselves moving forward. We can all relate to that. We can all take away some stuff uh, from a guy like Corey sharing these things. So let's get into it. Corey Heiser, tournament fishing. Let's do it. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 from Brew City. The CT360 is a low-profile, heavy-duty pole mounting system made specifically for forward-facing sonar. The usability, the ease of installation, the CT360 can be installed on a rail, on a track system, it can be fastened right to the gunnel, and the durability made out of nothing but high-quality materials is what sets the CT360 apart for Brew City. For more information, head to BruceCityTMS.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. Corey, you and I, you're just getting home from a tournament, and uh, I wanted to kind of call you and pick your brain about a couple of things, and then we got halfway through a conversation and decided we should probably, I should probably get home, get plugged into the (laughs) machine, and record it because we were just having a really cool conversation. So I'll honestly, like, you know, how should we start this? You know, you you had a tournament, and, and, and not just this tournament specifically, but we were talking about... You know, the, the trials and tribulations, you know, the, the classic um, tournament experience uh, where, you know, you've got you've got a pre-fish, you, you know, you kind of set your expectations on your pre-fish, you go into a tournament, things happen totally differently. Um, you know, I'm like literally jumping ahead here light years, but, you know, maybe start at the beginning and tell me this, this tournament experience that the story that gets shared far less, you know, I mean, it's, yeah. Well, it's funny because it's funny because, you know, we were talking about confidence and developing confidence and this tournament was maybe a subject of overconfidence to where, you know, my practice period was phenomenal. Um, and when you have phenomenal practices and you start to get dialed in to maybe just programs or a couple presentations, what it does is it it starts to close in your instincts to where, you know, when we start practice or, or you go out fishing and you're trying to find them and you have this open mind and your instincts and you trust, you know, 20-some years of tournament experience, this one actually was the opposite where we, get, we got dialed in. I really felt confident. We were, we were using our active target forward-facing sonar to locate fish in some bays and literally using glide baits and spoons, I legitimately couldn't keep the fish off. And we also were, were trolling, trolling uh, bouncers over the top of the trees. But where I'm going with this story long is 
as the the practice kind of laid itself out by the end of practice, I sensed a dwindling bite, but had a really hard time of making adjustments and almost throwing away what I had learned to start over. And I think that's the interesting part of the conversation is sometimes when you get so dialed in, you, you lose the ability and the openness to just trust your instincts. And, and that, it, it really snake bit me at this last event. And, um, you know, prior to us recording one of the, com- I know one of the comments I made is like, this was one of the worst tournaments I've had in a long time. And I feel like it was almost because the quality of practice I had really messed with my, my brain and my ability to make adjustments and instincts uh, and make adjustments and not just trust my instincts during the tournament to where I just, I had a hard time, you know, starting over and it really cost me. And I think a lot of us can get into that same, same mentality, whether we're just out recreational fishing or for some of you that are maybe, you know, dabbling into tournament angling, it's something you got to be careful of. Oh yeah. Like I can think of, I can think of this in my everyday fishing, you know, the recreational fishing career is like, how many times have I been on a good bite or I've just been, for whatever reason, I gave myself confidence because of a a previous outing and then I invite my friends or I invite family or people jump in my boat and I'm like, you know, I pass out that guarantee of like, oh, we're going to get them, you know, like I have this unbelievable confidence and I give the fish no credit for you know being able to uh move or do something different the bite changes and I go out there and I'm just humbled you know and it's like it's it's tough it's embarrassing and and uh in that scenario even you know I mean even just like trying to take somebody fishing just being overconfident telling them you know everything that I thought I knew so yeah I think this is a super relatable sort of process or experience or feeling, you know, it's almost like the emotional side of it. It's like, I think that those feelings, you don't have to be a high level tournament angler, but what an, you know, what an example for us to, you know, articulate some of this today, because I think, you know, there's a lot of learning that can come to it, but where, where should we start? Should we, I'd, I'd love to kind of maybe start a little bit at the beginning and talk about your pre-fish um, in terms of just your process of pre-fish. Like when you go to that, I mean, have you fished had, had you fished that body of water before? I'm well, assuming you have. Yeah, I fished Francis Case um, typically in the spring, typically on the top end of the reservoir. Um, this event had us at the bottom end of the reservoir midsummer. So completely different. However, I've got a lot of familiarity with the Missouri River systems. And, you know, if I was going to honestly pick, probably my favorite places in the world to fish would be the Missouri River system. So, had a pretty good idea we were going to be able to catch them and they'd be, you know, biting because it's just, it's just the way it goes. You know, when you're fishing events in June, you're typically at the, most of the bodies of water is the peak, say like early to mid June. But, you know, when, when you go to these events or when I go to these events, you know, typically with some research and again, just building on experiences, you kind of have an idea of what, what you want to start with, where you want to start looking. And then as practice develops, that's typically when you start to make those adjustments and 
you see different things as you're on the water and you put those experiences and then, you know, you basically are, are building the recipe and it's kind of taste testing. You know, if, if I was going to use it as like a cooking analogy, you know, maybe, I mean, it's, it's no secret that these fish set up out on the deep trees and that's a pretty common way that, that you can catch them out there. So you kind of use that as your baseline, like, okay, let's go out there. Yep. We can catch them on the trees. So maybe we're, you know, trolling lead corn and crankbaits. Well, yeah, we can catch some fish doing that, but maybe we can try to figure out a way to catch them better, faster, more efficiently. And so we started to dabble with that. You know, I actually tried to use my forward facing sonar in the trees and I love to have rod in hand. So, you know, trying to pick fish off one at a time. And for myself, at least out in the trees, I found like I just couldn't efficiently catch enough, fast enough, because these, you know, these, these groves of trees or these, you know, stretches of trees are so long. I just didn't feel like we could get through enough water. And it seemed like the crankbaits, you were pulling so much line of lead core out that it just, you know, if you got on a hot active pot of fish that were maybe isolated on a few taller trees, it's like to get turned around and get back through them wasn't efficient. So then, we kind of figured out that pulling bottom bouncers and slow death and pulling bottom bouncers with slow death and a small smile blade seemed to produce more efficiently. Um, your catch rate was a lot higher. So that was kind of one of the first patterns we developed there, which that pattern with the slow death, the smile blades, that pattern really did stay true kind of throughout the event for a lot of guys. But what's interesting about that is, we had actually kind of dipped into a lot of these big creek arms and fingers off the main reservoir, uh, especially the Missouri River reservoirs. They, they hold a lot of fish, so we started to kind of look in there. And next thing I know, I'm in the middle of some of these creek arms and bays, anywhere from 16 to 25 feet, staring at these suspended fish that are anywhere from 5 to 10 feet off the bottom. And now I'm plucking them away with, with glide baits and spoons and it was fun and it was very efficient and they were big fish. And so, you know, I guess I'm, you know, I'm kind of summarizing what the course of five days taught me, but it was pretty evident to me that I was going to have a good tournament either fishing in the back of these bays with forward facing sonar and my Lord, just trusting my electronics. You know, you could drive through marks them on your side imaging. And then as soon as you put the trolling motor down and looked at them with forward facing sonar, you realize there was more of them and you realize that they were high. And typically walleyes that are, you know, in the middle of the midsection of the water column, they're biters. And that's what we found. Um, and then to just literally skip all the way to the end, for some reason, those fish in the back of the bays literally became way less volume. And the few that I found that were left by tournament time did not bite or react to your bait nearly with the aggression that they had in practice. So that um, that's, you know, kind of what happened. And the problem is, in a tournament, you literally have eight hours. And 
when your confidence starts to wane after two, three hours of the event, when you are very confident that you're on the right thing, this is what leads you to, oh boy, what do we do now? This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 made by Brew City. The CT360 is a heavy-duty, low-profile, very versatile pole mounting system made specifically for operating forward-facing sonar. This is a very durable product made out of high-quality materials, very versatile and easy to use as well as easy to install. It can be incorporated onto a rail system or a track or just attached directly to the gunnel if you know exactly where you want it to be. For more information on Brew City's CT360 pole mounting system, head to the link in the description of this podcast. That is BrewCityTMS.com. Even to go back, like when you're in pre-fish, is it, uh, I mean, because you got to be open-minded the whole time, right? Like, you know, go, coming into pre-fish, because it's not tournament day, it's sort of easier because, you know, it's, 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 it's not the competition yet. You're, you're learning. But even, even during pre-fish, you're kind of still battling, you know, memories and waypoints and your comfort zones um, because it is kind of nice to think outside the box at that time. Try a few things that do or don't work. Like, talk to me a little bit about that for you. Like, do you feel like it's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of streamlined at this point in your career that mentally you don't, you don't battle yourself like that? Um, or do you feel like uh, a lot of anglers do get kind of vulnerable, not just on tournament day, but even in pre-fish? Yeah, I think, you know, that's one thing that just developing confidence and experiences over 20 years has taught me that we pack a lot of stuff in those Rangers. I mean, we put a lot of tackle and gear and practice and I, I've done a better job. I would say the last 10 years or so of not worrying so much about waypoints and how I've and where we've caught them in the past or living on memories, but, but more using the experiences and the confidence of, you know, I, I trust what I'm saying with forward facing sonar. I've got my baits that I feel like I can catch them on. So, you know, you use that to, to get your baseline and there's so many new products out there that you want to try. So that's where, you know, maybe if I've got eight rods on the deck of my boat, you know, four of them are old standbys that when I wheel into some fish, if they don't bite those, I'd, I'm kind of surprised. Um, and then you've got, if they do bite, now all of a sudden you've got the other four rods laying on your deck of stuff that you feel like should work and you got to try it and you want to try it because maybe it's going to work better. And, you know, I remember hearing a stories years ago and it still holds true today is, in my opinion, one of the worst times to to try things new is when you can't get fish to bite, you know, developing confidence in new products and new baits is when you know, there's fish biting, you know, you can catch them. So now let's dabble with some of this new stuff or let's dabble with something that maybe you think will work. And that's a great time to find out if it will. I mean, if you're on fish that, that are, are biting the old standby stuff, 
well, try something new. And then now you expand your confidence and you expand your diversification as an angler to stuff that, to, to, to new stuff. Like in pre-fish, what percentage of the time do you feel like, you know, and it's, just, it's situational, but if we look at like a bigger picture and we lump it all together, what percentage of the time do you feel like when you're on the water actively trying to learn something or pre-fish for a tournament, are you throwing something new in some sort of way? I mean, it's a high percentage and, and I don't know if I could put a number on it, but I can tell you every day that I'm on the water, I'm trying to expand my experiences. Like, you know, for example, this is just even yesterday, I was out on otter tail and I'm out here all the time and I have my, you know, standby stuff, but I had three brand new baits that haven't even been released by Berkeley yet trying to see if I can get them to bite in that particular situation. So, you know, I feel like I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm trying new stuff or new areas every day, a portion of my day. Um, because you know that if you can develop those experiences, the next time you're on the water, the next time you go to a new place, it's just something you can add to your to your repertoire or to your your arsenal of, of things that you can do because I've seen it many times where the new thing that you try, the new technique, maybe the new area that you fish, all of a sudden completely dominates the old standby. And now you look back and you're like, yeah, now all of a sudden I'd feel like if I face these situations again, this is, this is what I'm going to turn to. M- maybe the old tried and true, what I thought was really good, I found something better. And so, you know, I think, especially as competitive anglers, we're always looking for that next thing, whether it's um, maybe places we haven't quite looked for walleyes enough, or maybe it's a new way to, to present a new bait. You know, there's, it's such a wide, you know, platform to try and discover new things. And it's funny, as long as we fish, I still feel like the ability and the ways to catch walleyes is, is there's so much out there. So, you know, you kind of want to be on that leading edge because if you can be on the leading edge of that, that's that's how you're going to separate yourself again and maybe get a leg up and have a better opportunity to win another tournament. Yeah. I, I, Oh man. Like I, I, I write, I have like a, like a journal, you know, I'd call it a diary, but that kind of sounds, you know, sad, but uh, <laughs> like I write these ideas down all the time. Like, and, and it's not just ideas I think will work. It's like, I write down the things that I think I'm doing wrong just to try to, you know, maybe just like, you know, writing it down or, you know, it's like using all your, my senses to just sort of try to come up with a solution or, or a better idea, you know, just like you say, like sometimes the old standbys, you know, do you feel like, do you feel like, you know, the old standbys, you feel like sometimes these fish just have pressure and they've seen some of these baits before, um, you know, that kind of a deal, or do you feel like the old standbys just get sometimes replaced by the new technology or the new stuff because 
you know, for just for other reasons. It's just another application, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, the the opportunity at a, a more attractive cadence or it's just a more attractive bait. Like, what do you feel like is, you know, makes a new bait an upgrade from an old standby that we've been catching fish forever? You know, and I think, again, that's a huge open-ended question with just a giant can of worms because, you know, especially like I'm fortunate to work with Berkeley and they have scientists and, and so they're constantly doing a lot of that, you know, work in this, in, in the lab, so to speak to where, okay, maybe for example, like otter tail, I'll pitch a lot of four inch power bait minnows. Well, historically white chartreuse white, well, you start to look at some of the new baits and you're like, okay, or maybe a different color. And it's like, they come out with a new color and you're like, well, wow, that, that thing really, really makes a lot more sense now. You know, like, for example, they came out with this, it's a, it's like a, it's, it's a called shiner color. It's a kind of a gold, but this, this spring I was catching them on four inch gulp, like I always do. And I grabbed out this new color and it was like the catch rate went way higher. And it's like, okay, it was just a color thing. You know, maybe you're still presenting it the same way. But I'll tell you one trick that I like to do, and you had mentioned taking your buddies out and you're, you know, we're going to catch them. A lot of times, if I can take people out, I will give them the bait or the presentation that I'm most confident in. And if we can catch some fish, that's when I immediately grab something that I'm not sure if it'll work. Um, you know, before I had left for Francis case, I, we had caught some fish on bobbers. And so I gave a couple guys that were with me the bobber rods, but then I continued to just pitch soft plastics just to see how those fish react and then how maybe I can catch them faster. Maybe I can catch the bigger fish, but all the while kind of having your, you know, your par level set with the old standby. And again, I, I think that's a, that's a quick way to develop confidence in new things but you've got to be willing to maybe get out fished a day or two. You know, that's going to happen because, you know, if you're trying new stuff, you, you maybe will struggle with it, you know, and then bouncing through. And, and one thing that I guess I would tell a lot of the listeners, most guys go out with one or two fishing poles for themselves. And one thing I recognized a long time ago, none of us like to cut and retie. I like to carry a lot of rods for myself because it helps me change quick. You know, then I'm able to, to bounce back and forth between something that's maybe old, maybe tried and true, and then a few rods that are tied up with some new stuff or, or new ideas that you can try just to balance out your day. So, you know, maybe the very long answer is I bet I'm trying new stuff 30% of the time. I feel like this is true too. It's like, you know, in some cases, it's probably important to be trying new stuff because it validate, you know, even if it doesn't work, whatever's not working might, it kind of validates or contributes to the overall confidence that the old tried and true, or, you know, for example, hypothetically, you know, it, it contributes to that confidence that you're building, you know. 100%, you know, because then you will develop like, okay, well, yeah, this bait, this, this way that I'm, this cadence that I'm fishing in this scenario is working, 
but maybe this different cadence with a new bait, it doesn't. But, okay, so when I go somewhere new and I see the same situation play out, now I don't have to grab the thing that I've already tried because I have the confidence that it's not going to work. So now, you know, you, you kind of pivot the other direction and then you find find a new scenario and you, and you grab that new bait because of the way you've seen it come through the water. You know, a lot of times, you know, I think of it as like maybe open water fish on flats or something that don't have weeds versus weeds. You know, a lot of baits are fished very effectively through the weeds but not so much, you know, in an open water or just on a flat situation. Maybe their fall rate is a little little faster so you can get more of a hopping action on a big flat where, you know, if you're fishing around the weeds, you don't necessarily want that thing to to always dive down into the weeds. So now maybe you're fishing something that is staying towards the top of the water column a little better. So, you know, th- those are th- – but – you know, those are just different, different ways that I try to attack some of that oh, stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you know, in this, the, the, in this kind of, you did, we're depicting or, you know, we're coloring in this, this big picture of like this tournament experience where you figure in these things out in pre-fish or you're putting a pattern together in pre-fish. But as we get into like tournament day and you're going through that, you know, you're entering tournament day with, um, you know, with confidence in what you put together, I'm just curious, like, you know, in a situation like in Francis case, when you get, when you go in and you're looking for those bay fish, you know, and it it could be any pattern that you'd put together in any other place. But when you go in to check your pattern, you go into your a spot and you can just sort of feel right away that it's letting you down. It's not, it's not what you wanted or thought it was going to be. The clock is ticking. So you got to make decisions. How often, my question is this, like, in that scenario, like how often are you trying to find those fish? Like, did, you know, asking yourself, did they move shallow? Did they move deep? Um, you know, are they are they somewhere where you can look for them? Or do you go right back into pre-fish mode and you're like, you know what? This pattern ain't going. We got to get out of here. Like, like walk me through some scenarios where, you know, maybe that's you know something we could break down. Well, yep. And I think that's the tough part of being a tournament angler. And when you have good tournaments, that clock or that, that ability to recognize those changes is the difference between having a good tournament and having a poor tournament. And, you know, in Francis case, I just had it so ground in my head that they were going to bite. And even after they didn't, I spent way too much time basically trying the trying to force the fish to do what I wanted them to versus making that quicker adjustment and realizing, Hey, that's not going to work. You know, that square peg is not going into that round hole, no matter how many times I pivoted around. And you know, that, that was a classic example in Francis case where I just literally did not recognize it and and make those adjustments fast enough to where like, Corey, you had a great five or six days of practice for whatever reason, we'll have time to figure that out, but it ain't working. And I just could not get into a rhythm of forget what you know and start over. And, 
and again, when you got an eight hour clock and that, that doesn't, you know, that you got to take into account, you're running around the reservoir and it's amazing how fast that clock goes and you just simply run out of time. And, and that's, that's kind of what happened to me is now all of a sudden these practice days when you're kind of nonchalantly trusting your instincts, now all of a sudden you get down to five hours left in a day and you don't hardly have any fish. It's like, you know, how do you get out of that, that mentality and, and, and good tournament anglers or guys that have good tournaments they're the ones that can recognize that and make those adjustments quicker. And those that have bad tournaments, like I just experienced, can't get out of that, that funk or can't get out of that, that mentality that you can make it work. And, and, and that's, that's what happened. And I think, you know, you can recognize that a lot as even recreational anglers, like you referenced, the ability to recognize when they're not, those fish aren't willing to do what you want them to do or what you think they're going to do. And to, to just trusting what you've experienced over your lifetime is what's going to get you back on track. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's the never ending quest I think for all of us whether you are a tournament angler competitive or you're just want to be recreational, the ability to make those adjustments and to, to be able to pull the plug on what's not working and get to something that is working is what either makes you have a good tournament or makes you have a good weekend and, and produce some fish. And if we had a concrete answer on that, we'd all be tied for first, you know? Right, 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 right. You know, and, and I, I, I related a lot of times to rhythm when, when I have a good rhythm on the water and I can make those quick decisions like, Hey, this isn't happening. You, you got to figure out, is it the areas you're fishing? Is it the presentations you're fishing? Um, and then if you can recognize that, then making those adjustments and you know, that's, that's why I can't wait to get to the next tournament and I can't wait to fish the next day is because that's what drives me just as an angler is to be better every single day. So these, these poor finishes, these, I mean, these are the ones that sting and, and these are the ones that, that actually drive me probably more so than having great events because, you know, I've done it long enough. I know that I'm a good angler, but I had, made terrible decisions and, and fished very poorly. And I guess it, at least I can look in the mirror and go, well, yeah, you, you didn't, you didn't do very good. You're going to have to get back to your roots and figure out and, and make those self adjustments on how to do it the next time. How often do you just want to stay for an extra day or two and just figure it out? Like just try to figure out what you maybe didn't know or figure out what, what eluded you in that tournament, just so that you know, maybe just for peace of mind or maybe just for the actual knowledge itself, like in case you ever go back there, does that ever cross your mind? Well, well, the one thing about tournaments that you're fortunate with is after the event, most of the anglers are, are talking about what they did, how they did it. You can listen to the leaders up on stage. You can have a conversation with them. So 
you always can learn something after the event. And definitely I would have loved to have stayed at Francis case for another day or two, but I have a pretty good indication what I overlooked and what I missed. And it became pretty apparent just in watching the results, you know, seeing where guys had been fishing and understanding what they, they had done. I mean, literally, I just feel like two things in self-analyzation after Francis case, the Bay thing blew up. I don't know why still. However, I knew that that blew up the tree thing. I just didn't have enough time. I don't think to get through enough sets of trees to find the active biters like I needed to. Part of the reason of that is because I had stalled myself out in the bays too long. But the thing that I had overlooked and missed, and we seen some of it, but didn't probably put enough of the pieces together is just traditional shorelines and steep breaks on shorelines. We're holding fish. And again, I just, I know in hindsight, it's pretty easy. If I could do that tournament over, that's, I would have focused way more time on just traditional shorelines and picking out the better fish on some of the better shorelines. And I don't think they would have been that tough to catch, to be honest with you. The the very limited time, we had a couple, we call them scramble spots. I had a couple scramble spots where I scrambled up fish at the end of the days and caught them at a very high rate. And it's just, it's frustrating because it's like, yeah, if I would have spent way more higher percentage of my time fishing that type of water, I know my catch rate would have been phenomenal and I could have got the right fish doing that. That was the adjustment that, you know, I overlooked and just didn't make. Right on. So, you know, and and again, we could sit and pick apart the fishing, like, you know, detail by detail, but for the conversation that we're having and we're, you know, we're talking about that less popular, you know, conversation that most tournament anglers don't care to really go this in depth with. So I appreciate it. But like, you know, the failures and like figuring out being really self-aware of, you know, some mistakes and improving them next time. Like when you look back on a tough finish like this, is it the fishing that bums you out or is it getting back to that mindset and that strategy? Do you, you know, are, are you more, maybe in regret or, or do you feel like the bigger adjustment for you going forward is more just, you know, gosh, how come, how come I didn't realize that was blowing up? How come I didn't make my decisions quicker? You know, not so much the detail of it. Like, like walk me through that. Like how much, how much of your, you know, the emotions really go into the actual fishing itself versus the mindset. I think, I think at this level, it's mindset. It's all mindset. You know, it's, you know, people talk about execution, but for, I believe most of the time the execution is a mental execution of how did I let myself fall into this trap? You know, I know better when I'm sitting in my office, when I'm sitting in my pickup driving home, I know better. And it's, it's how do you, keep your mindset from letting that happen again. You know, how do you, you know, for me, a lot of times, like, I feel like your practice dictates a lot of that. And so you go, okay, at what point in practice did we make, did I make the mistake of 
falling into the trap of this is the deal and, you know, start closing in and, and start letting your instincts go away. And so I think that's the big lesson is it's the mindset of that gets developed during pre-fish. And when you're in practice, making sure that, again, you, you know, you turn over every rock and you spin on through every weed and you, you make sure that you don't miss something. You know, I've prided myself a lot in my career of not missing much during a practice period. And this was one of those times that I missed. I missed literally the best way to catch them and to catch the biggest ones. And those are the ones that you just have to look back and go, okay, what, how did that happen? You know, where did that happen? Um, Because even getting on the Bay program was a, was honestly, it was a great job in practice because we, I had expanded, I got that figured out, but then it's almost like I stopped, you know, I stopped at that point where you need to keep pushing yourself no matter how good it's going, that there's more out there. And, you know, I guess that ultimately at the end of the event, that's, that's the part that you go, okay, well, we can't let that happen again. And how are we not going to let that happen again to ourselves? Because that, um, you, you just can't afford to, can't afford to do that, you know? And, you know, we laugh because when you go out recreationally, you might have three or four buddies that are keeping track and you have that embarrassment. But when you have thousands of people watching and your fans following you on social media, and, and I always chuckle because you have a great event and your phone blows up, everybody's texting you and calling you and saying what a great job you did. Well, all those same people are watching when you crater. And I think that's the maybe one of the hardest parts emotionally and mentally is like, I'm the same guy and those same people are still watching and they just watched you crash and burn. So going out in the next event, you know, you've got to regroup, you've got to regather that confidence and get back after it because nobody's going to stop and feel sorry for yourself. And and they're not giving you, you know, you're not going to get any checks or, or any points for, for finishing at the bottom. So you, you got to get back on the horse and, you know, I guess that was part of the reason even I had fished, I think like uh, 15 out of 16 days leading up to that tournament. I literally took a day and a half off down at Ottertail and got back on the water yesterday just to, again, try to find the rhythm, try to trust what you're looking at. And then the first couple of fish you get following an event like that, you're like, yeah, I still got it. I just, yeah, you know, it's like taking a shower. You got to wash that. You got to wash that big L off your back. Yeah, oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'll bring it back to this too. Is I, I, I can relate these things probably easier than a lot of people. But I try to articulate it like, a, you know, being relatable to a, you know a, a tournament angler is going to listen to this and have have totally relate, and it's going to be able to you know hopefully you know level themselves up and 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 be able to reflect on themselves even more critically and, and continue to grow as a tournament angler. But even, you know, so many listeners, they're not tournament anglers, but man, like we all have that experience where we put pressure on ourselves or we're competing with the fish. Or for me, like I don't fish tournaments regularly at all. Um, 
you know, I probably haven't even fished enough of them to even say I ever have, but it's like, I fish, I try to fish with a tournament mindset just personally. Like when I go out fishing, I like the idea of, you know, you know, I'm constantly trying new things. I'm, uh, I'm trying to figure out a, not just the, the main bite where I get the most bites, but I try to find big bites. Um, you know, I'm trying to find bigger fish. I'm like, I'm trying to kind of go through the motions because I feel like that's a situation where I probably learn the most. Um, but as soon as I build some confidence and, you know, I take the opportunity to, you know, I put a little pressure on myself to either take somebody else out and show them my bite or just take them out recreationally because I owe them one or whatever it is. Like that is where I really figure out, or I can easily see whether or not I was in a rut and didn't know it because you go back out, whether it's the next day or four days since I've been out and I was doing all that practicing or I was doing, you know, I was, I was, I was doing it on my own and I was making decisions in a certain way. And as soon as there's pressure on me, as soon as I'm going right from waypoint to waypoint, I'm not, I'm not flying by the seat of my pants. I'm not being instinctive. I'm literally just trying to hammer out the bite that I feel like I already established and fish just have a funny way of pulling the rug out from underneath you uh, when you least expect it. They, they just lull you to sleep and then boom, I, I mean, I can just, you know, it's almost like, uh, yeah, like I don't know what it's like to fish with that many people watching, but I can, you know, or paying attention uh, as you guys do, but it's like, you know, even if it's just a couple of people in the boat that are, you know, it, it was just kind of important that you showed them a good day or whatever it is, it's like, uh, man, well, and the, the rut thing is so funny that you talk about that because I see so many times where, you know, let's just say the fish have been biting in 12 feet of water and the guy's out struggling in 12 feet of water. He makes a turn on a corner and his boat goes out to 16 or 18 feet off the edge of the, you know, point or, or whatever it is or the break and they catch one or two. And, and this is just laughable, but they'll catch two. And they literally will tell themselves those are an accident and, and yeah, and they get right back to 12 feet. And I think that's the rhythm, the mentality to recognize those changes, you know, and if you can make those changes and recognize that the quicker you can make that adjustment, that's what literally will, can get you out of that funk as quick as possible. It's funny. Cause like, Prime example, yesterday, otter tail, I go out, I've been catching fish in like 9 to 12 feet of water, so I go back out yesterday, I start looking around 9 to 12 feet, fish a couple spots, they're not in there, I'm not really seeing fish, I slide off one of the breaks, looking around with my electronics, I see fish on 35 feet, and I set the hook on a 19 and a half incher in 35 feet immediately, and I'm like, huh, well, here you are, you're doing a good job fishing with your instincts, you're seeing it. Well, then I proceeded to catch walleyes the rest of the day, anywhere from like 25 to probably 37 feet. And that's, I think, what made me have a good day. And that's where right away I'm hoping I got out of the funks. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're fine. You're fishing your instincts again, and you're just trusting what you see. And then try to piece the picture together, and it was – you know, it was easily recognizable to me just with my electronics yesterday that a lot of those fish that I had been catching up shallow or had voided, you know, in the last two or three weeks I've been gone. And and now I was able to find some quality fish out deeper 
and and it's making just those adjustments. That's what salvages you from being, you know, hanging your head to, yep, I can still do it and I can still figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely is reassuring to the rest of us when a seasoned veteran like yourself can talk about it and admit that it still happens because it's such a regular thing in my life. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> You know, it's like, I'm working towards the light at the end of the tunnel of getting better. But, you know, if it happens to guys like you too, then I do sleep a touch better at night. So I guess <laughs> I can appreciate that. <laughs> well, Taylor, if there's one thing that having a bad tournament, if I'm glad I could brighten your day, no, yeah. I, I'm, but it is, you know, and, and I think we talked about that a little bit before is like, it's so easy for us to to beat our chest and and to feel so good when we have great events and everybody wants to talk to you and yeah it feels great but but there is a great story that we don't all have it figured out and we're out there you know trying to make it happen and we do have tough days we have tough events and there's a lot of humility in chasing walleyes and I, I keep wanting to say this every time you're you're telling so many stories, but I don't know how many of you guys have actually looked at a fish, but they have fins on them, which lets them swim. And when they can swim, you got to go find them. They go swim. And you know, that it, it is, it's, it's a great experience. And, and as hard as it may be, it, it's a, it's almost a therapy session to be able to talk about it as well, because, you know, I'm, I'm, on this podcast going, okay, I had a bad tournament, but here I am. Like there's, there's things that I did wrong. I could admit it. I can talk about it and it's going to help me, you know, be more successful going to the next event, which I need to have a good finish. at. Yeah. You know, the old saying of like, well, 80% of the fish or 90% of the fish are in 5% of the water or 10% of the water. I think forward sonar is teaching us that 90% of the walleyes out there are doing whatever the heck they want. Yeah, it's like there's no more there's we cannot give ourselves, you know, we, we can't lie to ourselves anymore because, yeah, otherwise, otherwise you're in a rut like you're, you're you know, you're, you're telling yourself something that's wrong or you, you have too much confidence in something that could be that, you know, that could just be your demise. It's just like how we got to just go out there free and wide open. And I don't know if there's a scenario. I don't know if there's an angler. I don't know if there's a skill level that you can achieve that will allow you to catch as many walleyes as you want. You catch a walleye on every cast anywhere you go ever, <laughs> right? So, like, you know, I don't even know what the end game is in this. And maybe, you know, you know, maybe we don't even want to talk about that. But it's like, you know, the the tough days, you know, they're a requirement. Like, like the, the tough tournaments um, are the real building blocks, foundational building blocks to a long, successful tournament career, I think, for most of you guys, for sure. Oh, I completely agree. You know, the good events is what makes you want to go back out and fish and go catch them. But it's the bad ones that, you know, check yourself to, like, really push to to get yourself back in track. You know, that's – I think that's the one thing is – I feel like for myself, even it's, it's not the thrill of winning that pushes me. It's more the fear of defeat, you know, and it's more the, how do you not let that happen again? You know, you're, 
just you've been doing it too long. You, you've caught way too many fish on way too many bodies of water to let that happen. And once in a while, that stuff sneaks in, and you just got to take it and go, well, let's put that one behind us. Let's learn from it. Let's let's get on a podcast and talk about it. Yeah, and a little then, therapy session. This is, you know, this yeah. is probably the first time. And <laughs> people are, if they're still listening at this point, they've probably, they'll probably have heard this, me say this in the intro. Um, but this is the first podcast of its kind on the JMO podcast. At no, I've never been on the phone with somebody driving, uh, you know, driving uh, down the street by my house and been like, hey, wait. Let me get back to my house so we can get plugged in and I want to record this. Like, uh, you know, as, as unscripted as these normally are, this is the most impromptu. This is the most unscripted. This is like the, yeah, this is like the only one of its kind that uh, I've ever, we've ever just plopped down and just continued a phone conversation that was already started. So this is, uh, hopefully people enjoy this. I think this is really cool. And yeah, it's just like letting your hair down. Yeah, it's like a therapy session, um, but it's a learning session for me. And, um, you know, people like yourself that are willing to have this conversation and not all, not all professional tournament anglers are. And that's fine too, but guys like yourself that will share are so valuable to me, so valuable to the listeners of this podcast, and just you're valuable to the industry because you are, you know, entering you know the realm uh, a conversation that is just never had. You know, seminars are not built around conversations of failure. Um, TV episodes are too short to include all of this stuff. You know, YouTube. Uh, social media, it's all short form, but a podcast where we can sit down and we can really just sort of hash this stuff out, even while the wounds are still fresh. I mean, you you just got home, you know, yep. 24 hours ago from this tournament. Um, and so, yeah, like there's still some learning from this tournament that might even, you know, might hasn't even happened yet. You know, the light bulbs are still going to go yep. off for you. And then, but yeah, this is like uh, this this type of conversation is um, f- by far the first of its kind on the JMO podcast. So very very enjoyable and very fun, man. I appreciate you being down for this for sure. No, it's awesome, Taylor. And like I said, I I feel like um, like you said a few times. You know, we're just anglers at the end of the day, and sometimes it is fun to to show that there are warts. You know, and and it's not all roses, and it's not all you know, cash and checks, it's, it's, it's a learning experience, no matter how long you've been doing it. And, you know, I think it'll be very relatable for a lot of the listeners to understand that no matter what, you got to have an open mind and you, you got to be able to look in the mirror and say, no, that was a bad one. We, we didn't do a very good job, but let's get back at it and, and analyze where we made the mistakes, um, what we did wrong. And then, you know, Turn, turn those failures and turn those mistakes into successes and, and turn them into to learning experiences. There it is, man. It's done. It's done. There's a bow. We put a bow on this bad boy. The timing is absolutely perfect. What an awesome, yeah, what an awesome conversation. I appreciate it, Corey. Yep. You're welcome. Later, man. Bye. This episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by the CT360 from Brew City. The CT360 is a low-profile, heavy-duty pole mounting system made specifically 
for forward-facing sonar. The usability, the ease of installation, the CT360 can be installed on a rail, on a track system, it can be fastened right to the gunnel, and the durability made out of nothing but high-quality materials is what sets the CT360 apart for Bruce City. For more information, head to brucecitytms.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. 